Hello and welcome to the Professional Practice Podcasts with me, Austin Williams, Senior Lecturer at the Department of Architecture at Kingston School of Art. I'm also course leader in the Part 3 Postgraduate Diploma in the Professional Practice of Architecture. Today we've spliced together a number of short comments from a range of professional practice experts. We wanted to give you some insight into the Part 3 Viva process, the final Part 3 interview, since it's usually one of the more stressful moments that you will encounter in your academic career. It's the culmination of your studies, and so however many times your professional studies advisor tells you that it's a friendly, intelligent conversation, where examiners and assessors are willing you to pass rather than trying to make you fail, no one ever believes them. Until it's all over. There are so many students that leave the Viva and say it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. But that doesn't mean it's a dead cert, and it doesn't mean you don't have to work for it. So, to give you a little clue... We asked some assessors and examiners to answer three questions for us. One, what are you looking for in a good student interview? Two, what mistakes do students always make? And three, what advice would you give a prospective part three candidate? There's some overlap, obviously, in the questions and answers, but they help reinforce the message, I hope. Finally, I asked some assessors to give short, punchy answers to these questions, but I also asked for a few longer answers, and they're randomly mixed in this podcast. So enjoy, and good luck. Um, My name is Paul Crosby. I head up the AA's Part 3 programme, and I also am an external examiner on other Part 3 courses in and around London. First question, what are you looking for in a good student interview? I would say, in summary, and in one, in in just a few words, a flowing conversation. That's what I'm looking for. I, I would like the candidate that to be articulate. They show a good understanding of their knowledge. They have a good, they are able to make connections, give examples from the experience, and the whole conversation flows. It's discursive, um, it's reflective, and it's critical. I prepare questions in advance on the papers we've received, the case study, the exam questions, the PDRs, and so on. So I've always got that to one side in preparation um, for for a viva, for for an oral examination. The very best vivas, Austin, I would say, are where I don't really have to refer to that too much because we're having a conversation as though I were a client and I'm asking my architect questions and the architect is really convincing me in a very professional way giving me good uh, good answers to the questions and developing those answers from an examiner's point of view I, I think we all prefer to not ask closed questions I think that's that has to be absolutely said so they're questions that you hope uh, a candidate will be able to give a a developed, nuanced answer that might be mostly highly particular to them because they are giving answers based on their experience or their judgment. Of course, I mean, it goes without saying it's an examination, so therefore the candidate has to show that they have good knowledge of the various questions that are being asked, of uh, covering the ARB's criteria and practice and project activities and planning, building regs, CDM, and so on. Of course, those questions are asked, but um, it has to be conversational for me. I, I really, I really, you have to come out of the exam, both as an examiner and a candidate thinking, 
I mean, in a way, Aviva is heightened. It's a heightened, intense conversation. We know we've got a timeline. We know we've got 45 minutes to assess a candidate. So the silent moments tend to be awkward, more than all. But I think there is also a nice pace to an interview that isn't staccato. It's, there's, an, in a way, if I could advise candidates, it would be to try and keep that conversation going without waffling, keep on subject, try not to deviate, and to bring examples from their practice or their past experience into the question. Great. Well, look, I mean, maybe we've covered the answers to the other two questions in the course of the conversation, which is always good. But I'm going to ask you anyway, just in case, what mistakes, and it might just be a simple one-sentence answer, but what mistakes do students always make? Don't guess. I think it's a mistake to try to please the examiners. I think a candidate should just be honest, be accurate, and don't say too much. Full stop. Case in point. One piece of advice I didn't mention earlier. There's a clue in the title, professional practice. Be professional. My name is Edward Farrell. I'm an architect and I'm the programme leader for the professional practice programme in the University of Lincoln. What do you look for in a good Viva interview? I look for a student who is well-rounded, a student who has confidence in knowing when to say no, but I know where to get the information, and a student who has done their homework before they come to the interview. And homework being? Looking at the documents they've submitted, uh, looking for the areas where they feel they've been weak, so that they can actually have answers as to why it wasn't as good as it should be. Is there a question that you always ask? as an external examiner? No, the questions come out of the documents the students submit and sometimes a question will arise through the discussion that you will want to ask, which could be a, a question you might ask every student. It could be on ethics or it could be on practice, it could be on legal issues. So what advice would you give a prospective part three candidate? Well, make sure that you have the experience that's required, that you've got all of the required uh, PEDRs that are needed. Make sure that you feel confident about the going from a position of being a student where you can ask the questions to, if you pass the exam, that you become a professional architect and you have responsibilities. Thank you very much, Ed. That's great. I'm Leo Cornell. I'm an architect in uh, private practice and uh, also teach part-time at Kingston. Uh, a good viva, I would look for a student who's got a certain level of confidence about themselves, but also um, is aware of where they need to plug their gaps in knowledge. Short and sharp, that was good. So is there a question that you regularly ask? Apart from what they are currently doing and where their projects are, is, a, is always a good basis to start off a viva, to find out where they've worked on between submitting their volumes and a few months in between, so kind of start off with a, an introduction question and then talk about specific details of, a, of a, one of their case study incidents, a contract. What mistakes do you find that students often always make? Possibly not knowing what to expect of the interview. So whether we're trying to pick them up on certain things or catch them out, whether they have an expectation of we're trying to interview them rather than tease more out and help them. Yeah, yeah anyway. they have an expectation that it's going to be a formal interview and it tends not, well it doesn't have to be that, it can be more of a discussion 
about the, the surrounding issues that they want to talk about. Uh, and what advice would you give a prospective candidate? To try and keep your nerves at bay, and which is probably more easy to say than to do. Having you know, a good revision session of all your topics and all the you know, surrounding issues is the best way to be prepared. Great. I'm Patricia Hickey and I'm director and architect of Bubble Architects. First question, what do you look for in a good Part 3 student or a good viva? Um, well, their case studies and to some extent their critical appraisal is anal analysing a certain area, a particular phase or stage. And in the viva I'm looking for an overall understanding of the role of the architects within our profession which means um, how do you combine client expectations, statutory, regulatory requirements, including practice management, fees and resources. Everything. Everything. <laughs> what mistakes do students always make? I think that students are reluctant to admit they don't know all the facts and they seek to talk around the issue as opposed to identifying where to obtain the necessary information. Is there a question that you like to ask? No. Okay. I think I look into each individual candidate. What advice would you then give a candidate? I wish that uh, candidates have all uh, a relationship to a mentor who is helpful, has the knowledge and can guide them into the right direction. Thank you very much indeed. I'm Alistair Blythe. I run the Part 3 course at the University of Westminster and I also do research into learning environments. Really, um, I think I'm looking for understanding and judgment. The students demonstrate understanding and judgment and understanding of what the role of an architect is in different contexts and how, and how it's carried out. Uh, do they understand the risks involved? I'm also looking for a sense of self-awareness. Do they understand their own limits? I think good candidates are able to, to make connections between what they've seen in the office and what they've experienced. Uh, so, so really trying to explore some of the sort of scenarios with them uh, during the interview is probably a good way of getting at, at that judgment. But that was what are you looking for in a good interview. The second one is what mistakes do students always make? Well, I think, I think I'm going to express this as what common mistakes are made because they don't always make, not all of them always make the same mistakes. But I think the common one, I think the big one is actually lack of preparation, uh, proper preparation, making sure that they have a good understanding, both of what, I suppose, of the, of the basics, but also not being self-critical of their own work um, and, and perhaps looking for the gaps in, for example, the case study project or, or their self-critical self-appraisal uh, that they might have written. Um, those, you know, those who come to interview and have obviously not reread their work, I think do get less sympathy from examiners because it's this thing that underlies a lack of professionalism, if you like. Um, and I think if people have recognised a shortcoming and dealt with it, examiners will recognise that as professionalism, be more sympathetic. And I think, think I, uh, I would be more sympathetic to students who, who've kind of looked back over their experience, looked back over their work and, and can recognise where they may have some weaknesses, but also perhaps have a, have a plan or an approach that might, might um, help address those weaknesses. They will certainly get a, 
get a more sympathetic hearing. The key advice for, I think, and I tell all, all of our lot to do this, is first of all, look through your work, back through your work, and, and certainly try to identify where there may be gaps in either your understanding or, or what you've written particularly in the case study. So review your own work. Don't rely on your memory. Try to have lots of conversations or as many conversations as you can with both colleagues and also directors in your practice about the range of part three topics to help both build up our confidence of being able to discuss issues with people that you've never, never met before. My other advice, piece of advice, is to remember that it's a professional interview. And although we might call you candidates or students, depending on our context, uh, really, you're young professionals, and that's how you should approach the interview. Judy, just tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Judy Farron Bradley. I'm an associate professor at Kingston University, now the course leader for historic building conservation courses. Previously, I was quite heavily involved with the Part 3 course at Kingston and with architectural education generally. Right, let's just ask you the question. So question number one is, in terms of the Part 3 Viva, what are you looking for in a good student interview? And initial impressions are important. Someone who's well organised and that they are coming into that situation with a professional approach. That's the first thing. The next thing, and this follows on from the first thing, is they're well prepared for the interview. Uh, you get a sense that they've gone back through their own work, they're kind of in command of the work that they've submitted. As discussion unfolds, it becomes very clear very quickly whether they have gone back over things like the scenario-based question, perhaps reconsidered, and more importantly, that they've also gone back through volume one and volume two that they've submitted. And, you know, they might have even got someone else to read it through. They have critically reflected on what it is that they've written. I think the third thing is, as the interview goes through, there'll be situations probably where the assessors will a bit more they'll ask another question they might base that round imaginary scenario so what you're hoping for is to see someone who can systematically approach a situation what mistakes do students always make those students that make a mistake i would suggest because they think they can wing it that the main mistake and a lot of the things about not preparing, not approaching it in a kind of serious enough way, I think really comes from that idea. But it isn't just another professional conversation. It doesn't matter if you're working at high level of responsibility, which is even more important if you've been already working at a high level of responsibility. But you realise at the last point beyond which if you're successful, you are taking on a higher level of personal and professional responsibility. So it's about taking that commitment. So it should be something that strengthens you as you go through. Uh, my name's Simon Warren. I run the Part 3 course at Leeds Beckett University. So I'm an architect. I practice for 
crikey, 25 years before I, I, I dropped into academia properly. I think the main thing is uh, a student that comes in, recognises their own competencies, knows where they're at within their own practice and through their experience, uh, and, you know, and can demonstrate that at the oral interview, as you would expect, but, but also um, to understand their limitations. That usually is the beginning of their career. Um, they're not expected to know everything. And um, being able to uh, understand that, I, I think, gives a good sense of professionalism in the candidate. So that's, for me, that's the, the thing I look out for during the whole of the interview. Great. So the next question might be the opposite of that, I suppose. But what, what mistakes do you find that students always make? Um, I don't know, actually, uh, Austin, if students always make a mistake. I, I think uh, there are things that, that jump, jump out as common things in a number of students that gets them in a bit of a pickle. And the, I, I would say the most common one, though um, most students uh, are, are particularly well prepared, I find, but those students who do not prepare well for the interview, uh, I, I find that they can really struggle. And um, a, a prepared student is somebody who would usually bring in notes, would know how to use those notes and when to refer them. You would get a sense through the interview that um, following the submission of their, uh, their examination documents, that they've been in a study group as we do at Leeds and looked and revised and rehearsed and seen where there might be missing spots, etc. And you get a sense of that through, through the interview. So I think preparedness, again, is something that smacks to me of good professionalism. And even when you're prepared, etc., I, I think it's good at times when there is a particular line of questioning that you're not following or you've not got that experience to just say, well, you know, rephrase it or uh, can you repeat that? And if you're still unclear of what the examiner is heading for, then just hold your hand up to it and say, I don't know the answer to that. But if, if I was in practice, I'd find somebody appropriate who would help me with that. I think if you prepare well, you, you can make up good ground as well. So you might not have done as well as you had imagined in the examination situation. But, you know, whether it's the case study, depending upon your institution, you know, some institutions have um, unseen papers which can be a, a bit traumatic and it, you know at our institution we have uh, written papers that are done in practice uh, but still there can be an, a, quite an ordeal and you might on the day get the wrong end of the stick. Now by preparing for the oral examination in the intervening period you can um, you can always find a way of you know of catching up so by being prepared I think even if you've not done as well as you expected in the submission documentation there's an opportunity to to uh, show to your examiners that you've learned from that and shown you that professionalism be prepared yeah. I mean it's like you know people go away and they think they have to memorize the JCG contract or something I mean what what do you mean by be prepared okay I, I guess I keep using, overusing the word professionalism, but it's really a common sense um, and and um, sort of self-reflection and uh, due diligence in preparing for something which is uh, a really important event. For a lot of Part 3 examiners, the Part 3 is the oral examination. The rest of it is a preamble 
it's the gateway to the profession. So it's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be convivial and a conversation. But I think if you if you if you know your stuff as much as you can and know your position in practice, then you will come across more confident and and deal with the situation much better. I'm Mary Kelly. I'm a registered architect. I've been practicing with a sort of micro practice for the last couple of decades. Before that, I've worked in a number of different practices, large and small in metropolitan and other areas. And latterly, I am course leader for the part three course at the CAS. Additionally, um, I have been a part three examiner for many years at a number of different institutions. Question number one. What are you looking for in a good in a good student interview? A good student or a good interview is one that flows, I would say. So um, it shouldn't be too overprepared either by the examiners or by the student as to say, I don't think that either side should have any fixed preconceptions about how things will turn out. So yes, I think that having read the submissions as an examiner, I will have things that I want to know more about, that I will want to talk to the student about. But I think um, the student uh, shouldn't be concerned that there will be, um, a, there's likely to be a specific uh, focus that the interview will concentrate on at the cost of anything else. The student should be prepared for the interview to segue into other things so that in addition to them having a good and comprehensive knowledge of their own submission, I would expect them to be able to contextualize that slightly so that if the conversation develops, they can go on down those different byways and explore those almost in conversational discussion with the examiners. Very good, very good. Uh, and what mistakes would you say that students always make? That they do over-prepare, that they over-focus on what they think are going to be the critical things that they should be worried about. And they forget that actually, you know, part three is about lots of things. So yes, there will be some formal submissions and components that everybody will have had to prepare and submit. Um, but, you know, things move on, things evolve. So even the things that they wrote and submitted six weeks, eight weeks before their interview, things may have changed. So in a sense, they need to understand that whatever they've described to us is more than just that story, so that they can talk to us about what they've done, how that fits in or sits within the, the context of better practice, good practice, other practices, that they're not so overly sort of um, inside their own experience that they can't see what other places might do, what, how other projects might work, how other contracts might be run, and be able to, in a sense, uh, illustrate that a little bit more, to expand on that a little bit more, to show us that they're not so constrained by what they have done, by what they experience on a day-to-day -day level, that they couldn't actually step outside that box and do something a little bit different. Very good. And the final question is, what advice, I mean, some of what you said already emphasizes this, but what advice would you give a part three candidate? That they do understand what it is that they've been doing, that they do understand how and whether what they've been doing um, sits within a broader practice perspective, good practice perspective, but that they do have a very good view of the world around us, how we operate, how we how we function uh, within the kind of wider construction industry, 
uh, how we um, how what we do gets delivered in the wider context of the changing environment for regulations for construction projects itself for practice that we that they read that they explore that they question all the other things that happen out with their own direct practice experience so that they're not so constrained by uh, an interview that they can't talk about those things because one of the best things about an interview will be a sense that um, at the end of it for example or part way through it we can ask the candidate what they might want to ask us and you know, there is a sense that they should be able to have a conversation at that level with us because after all we are just two other professionals or two architects and they should be able to converse with two other architects about what, what, what might happen next because that's in a sense what we're trying to get from them is this sense of confidence that when they leave the room we have just interviewed somebody that we feel would we would be happy to welcome into the profession with us. And there was one point you mentioned uh, previously, very quickly, uh, about not there not being standard questions. Uh, That's right. That's right. I'm 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 very keen to make sure that both as well that as examiners we don't have too too narrow a preconception actually of what we think we might want to talk to people about and certainly i wouldn't want to go into let's say a day of part three interviews with the same questions that i would be wanting to ask each uh, candidate so in the same way that as an examiner i would hesitate and in fact refuse to ask uh, the same prepared questions. I, I would expect a candidate to not just have, in a sense, read the right books and come up with the right answers. It's one of the things that I find most kind of interesting working with my own students is how often they ask me what the right answer is. You know, if I'm going through uh, exam papers with them, if I'm going through case studies with them, you know, what is the right case study? What is the right exam answer? And I'll have to say, well, there isn't one. <laughs> you know, I know that's very unsatisfactory, but there isn't one. But we will know when we hear you talk about things that you do understand what it is that you're talking about. We do understand, or if you can show us that you understand how, let's say, you've arrived at a fee, how you've got to a process of discovering or deciding what you're going to charge for, what services you're going to deliver, that's much more sensible, that's much more correct, that's more right, if you like, than simply being able to to pluck a particular figure out of the air or a particular method of doing things you know that's it's you need to understand your client you need to understand the context for the delivery of the project and be able to advise and report and describe accordingly i'm tony clarford i run the part three program at the university of greenwich what i'm looking for is somebody who comes across with that sort of combination of confidence and competence, which never goes over the edge into arrogance. You know, I like to think, okay, would I feel comfortable as a client having this person representing me and making decisions on my behalf? And if I feel that, then usually that's a very good feeling about the, uh, the candidate. It doesn't mean that they know everything, because I don't think you can, but it's I think really we're about talking about how you handle the things where you don't know what to do. What mistakes do you find the students always make? They keep talking about bloody buildings all the time. Um, you know, as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, part three really is primarily about your own professional development. 
and your work in practice and your work on particular projects are only there to act as vehicles for your own professional development. So you can work on the most spectacular practice in the world, you can work on the most wonderful project in the world, but actually if you're not learning anything from it and if you're not growing as that, as that happens, then you're wasting your bloody time. And so what advice would you give? For me, it's usually about context. And so, uh, you know, they, uh, candidates are usually incredibly immersed in their project because it's what they're devoting, I don't know, 40 hours a week on. It's what they're writing their case study about and all the rest of it. And so their, their focus shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And if you're lucky, they might think about the larger context of the practice. If you're lucky, they might think about the larger context for their client. Um, so I'm always saying, well, try and put this in the much larger, larger context of the industry as a whole. You know, read, I don't know, the construction manager website and just find out who is seeing, suing who. And, you know, why is, if you're doing lots of, um, if you're on a framework agreement with Keir for, for seven schools across Kent, you know, and Keir's share price is going down 40% in a, in a month, then how are those two things interacting, you know? you ought to know about those things you ought to be able to see those different things in play so for me it's about trying to them trying to get them to put their experience their very specific experience in a much larger broader context excellent thanks very much that's great my name is ray dudman and i'm an external examiner at oxford brooks university questions are what are you looking for in a good viva interview I'm looking for the student to provide clear and concise answers. Short and sharp, I like that. What mistakes do students always make, do you think? They tend not to listen to the questions that they're being asked. And so, therefore, what advice would you give a prospective partial candidate? I think be thoroughly prepared, be as calm as you can be, don't turn up too early, and I suppose um, listen very carefully to the question as it's asked. I think review all the information that you've had, any work that you've prepared over the year that you've had to lead up to your Viva, and if possible, discuss the content of the course with other members of the course. Okay, that's it. That's all we have for you, but it's a pretty good start, I think, I hope. Prepare, but remember that it's a conversation in which the assessors are trying to see if you understand the process of architecture, and it's not a memory test. They're also looking to see if you have a personality, if you show initiative, understand professional integrity, and that you are trustworthy. They want to know that you aren't going to kill someone on your first construction project. And they also want to know that you're not going to run away from a difficult problem. They want to know that you are sensible, confident, without being overconfident, and that you won't bullshit. If you don't know something in the Viva, don't pretend, and if you don't understand the question, ask for it to be repeated. You know, like in a real-life conversation. Take your time, don't be nervous, and in a strange way, enjoy it. If you don't get it this time, learn the lessons and come back better. Check out our archive of professional practice podcasts. Good luck.